Whoever was the first to say, "'Tis better to give than to receive," obviously never was up for an Oscar. Now they're wonderful. They all have their Oscars. But are they happy? Hello, and welcome back to the Snub Club. I'm your host, Danny Vincent, here to give you the buzz on Woody. I Okay, I, I forgot that we did bits, and now I'm trying <laughs> to come up with the Toy Story one. Hey, y'all, I'm Caleb, and welcome to Woody's Roundup. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, you could just be like, exterior. <laughs> Interior, <laughs> interior, Caleb's bedroom. <laughs> anyway, um, so this week we're at the 51st Academy Awards with nine nominations. Oh, wait, hold on a second. Where's Sarah? Yeah, you might notice that there's one less voice today, uh, and we'll just let Sarah explain why. Hey, it's Sarah. I am not in this episode because I am implementing my one veto. Um, Danny and Caleb can explain what that means. But basically, uh, I'm not in this episode because I don't want to talk about this movie directed by Woody Allen. So I will see you in the next one. Bye. Wow, Sarah, that was really interesting. I definitely listened to your recording before we recorded this. I definitely know what she just said. Well, one thing that she did bring up, because I did listen to it, um, was that, <laughs> one of us uh, is responsible. <laughs> uh, she passed the test to explain the veto uh, kind of system, and I don't remember how we came up to this with this. It wasn't part of our original. Uh, we came up with it because I, I let it slip. Well, a certain movie we'll be covering in the 2000s to Caleb. And Caleb was okay. like, I absolutely refuse to ever see that movie ever, even for this podcast. I've sworn that since that movie came out, I will not be breaking that swear. And I was like, all right, I guess we can add a veto to it. Uh. Okay. I, I didn't want to say that that was definitely the case because I couldn't remember. And I didn't want to take the blame or the credit depending on how you see this. But um, yeah, I think it's, I think it's reasonable when we're watching this many movies for burnout, if nothing else, to have, a, have a, an escape. Hatch. I refuse to take the veto, by the way. I'll have that on the record. So if I ever take the veto, you guys can come back and put this clip in and have this is the reason Danny's taking the veto, and you can put that in the episode. Just so I can look even stupider. You know? Be good comedy bits. I will say, it, Sarah had it rougher because she actually knows the rest of the movies. I, like, it very well could happen that there's a movie that comes up before that I will also want to veto. Mm-hmm. And because I fo- set my foot down so hard, I won't be able to now. I will say, Sarah, very specifically, and I don't know if she says this in the recording or not, we have several problematic directors we will eventually get to. Um, and she chose Woody as um, the one to put her foot down on, which I respect a lot. Um, you know, I, I like, for example, I've, I've mentioned it before, we have a David O. Russell eventually, and I generally... I didn't see Amsterdam, but when he was on his Oscar run recently, I did generally enjoy Silver Lines Playbook and Joy a lot. So that I gotta live with that. What Woody Allen movie are we talking about? Wait, did we even explain what the veto was? Or no? Uh, it's a veto. We gotta skip one episode. Yeah, yeah. Um. Anyway, which Woody Allen movie are we talking about? Well, 
At the 51st Academy Awards, uh, there was a film with nine nominations. Two films with nine nominations. First was called The Deer Hunter. You might have heard of it. It won five. It won Best Picture, Best Director for Michael... I always butcher his name. Semino? Is that it? Semino? Semino? Whatever. Uh, I've heard it both ways. Yeah. It's like Studio Ghibli and Studio Ghibli. Um, Anyway, Best Supporting Actor, Christopher Walken. Best Sound and Best Film Editing. Another film with nine nominations was Heaven Can Wait, um, which is what of an interesting Snap Club movie. I've seen it. Uh, it won one. It won Best Art Direction, which I get um, from my memory of that film. And then there's a film with eight nominations called Coming Home. It won three. It won Best Actor for John Voight, Best Actress for Jane Fonda, and Best Original Screenplay. Uh, there was a film with six nominations called Midnight Express. It won two Oscars. It won Best Adapted Screenplay and Best Original Score for Giorgio Moroder. Then there was a film with five nominations and no wins. That film is called Interiors. Caleb, what was Interiors nominated for? Try to do you proud, Sarah. Uh, Interiors was nominated for Best Directing for Woody Allen. Boo. Allen was nominated for uh, Best Director seven times and one for Annie Hall. Uh, Best Actress for Geraldine Page. Page, uh, This was Page's sixth nomination. She would go on to be nominated two more times before she won for The Trip to Bountiful. Uh, Best Supporting Actress for Maureen Stapleton, who was nominated four times and won for Reds. Best Screenplay, written uh, written directly for the screen by Woody Allen. Uh, He has been nominated nine times and won for Annie Hall, Hannah and Her Sisters, and Midnight in Paris. Best Art Direction. Midnight in Paris. Has that yeah, I, I needed to double check that one when I saw it because it didn't seem real. Well, you um, know, um, you know, uh, you know, what? you can go through them and I'll, I'll, I'll talk. I'll, we'll, we'll talk about Woody later. So go on ahead. Sorry. Yeah, I got, I got one more for you. Best art direction by Melbourne, Melbourne, and Daniel Robert. Bourne was nominated three times but never won, and this was Robert's only nomination. Hmm. All right. Um, some quick facts about the 51st Academy Awards. Let's see if there's any interesting facts. Because again, we've reached the point where these awards ceremonies start talking about stuff I don't care. Um, this is fun. They performed a medley called Oscars Only Human, which was composed of the movie songs of the year that were not nominated for Best Original Song. Um, this was the final public appearance of John Wayne, uh, where he gave, was given a standing ovation before he presented Best Picture to Deer Hunter. Two months after ceremony, he died. Um, do, 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 do. Uh, what does it say? Oh, uh, Warren Betty and Buck Henry became the second pair of directors nominated for Best Director after Jerome Robbins and Robert Wise won for West Side Story. Betty is the first person to earn acting, directing, producing, and screenwriting nominations for the same film. Um, Orson Welles technically achieved the same feat for Citizen Kane. Rules at the time determined that the studio released in the film ever than the producers were the nominees for Best Picture. So Citizen Kane, if they had the rules we did now, Orson Welles would also be on that list. Um, John Voight and Jane Fonda made Coming Home the fourth film to win both lead acting awards. And this is funny. Maggie Smith is the only person ever to win an Oscar for playing someone who loses an Oscar. Um, which is kind of amusing. Uh, that's a although good I think piece that's of a- trivia. It's interesting trivia, but I also just feel like that's like, okay, I, I don't think a lot of movies about Oscars are, you know, exist. You know what I mean? Because I mean, technically, Renee Zellweger won that too. 
because Judy Arlen never won an Oscar. She lost a lot, but she never won. <laughs> so, but yeah, anyway, um, very specific, fun that. Oh, and the um, Special Achievement Awards these years went to Lawrence Olivier, um, Walter Lance, who's the creator of Woody Woodpecker, King Vidor, the Museum of Modern Art Department of Film, and then Superman won Best Visual Effects as a Special Achievement Award rather than a competitive category. And uh, Vidor and Olivier have both appeared on our podcast before. I don't remember what Vidor movie we watched. But... Uh, the best one, one of the best films we ever watched was podcast The Crowd. Was that King Vidor? Pretty sure okay. it's King Vidor. I love that movie. I'll take your word for it. Um, and this was uh, when Jane Fonda won. This was uh, kind of her return to popularity after the Hanoi Jane incident where she uh, was photographed on a Viet Cong uh, artillery, piece of artillery, um, which uh, was not popular during the Vietnam War. <laughs> Mm. Makes sense. All right, Terriers. Well, before we talk about the movie, I feel like we 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 gotta address Woody Allen and go back to what I was just saying and our familiarity with Woody Allen. Not necessarily about like his problematic tendencies, but that feels like an understatement. But what I was gonna more say earlier is like Midnight in Paris. You're like, I can't believe he won so recently. Well, you know, two years later, he won Kate Blanchett. Or Oscar, right? Blue Jasmine is after Midnight in Paris. So he it was, was, it was still being respected for quite a bit. That wasn't what surprised me. What surprised me is the thing that we're going to run into more and more is that um, like movies I remember watching the Oscars for getting brought up on our podcast. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but... <sighs> well, that kind of has already happened when Dustin Hoffman's appeared, you know? Stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah, and uh, it's... Obviously, we're going to get to the point when, like, eventually we'll get contemporary. So, like, we'll have. We just talked about De Niro and, and Scorsese and Jodie Foster recently. All these people yeah, who very yeah. much exist in our. Like, they all showed up at the Golden Globes, I'm pretty sure. You know, not that we watched it, but, you know, like, they're, they're popping up on the awards circuit anyway. So. Yeah. And, like, uh, when we get to, like, 2016, like, we watch those Oscars together. So I'm sure we will have anecdotes to retell instead of trivia yeah but, um definitely the time I, I threw i threw the chair at the tv will be brought up right yeah uh, <laughs> I, like I don't remember the chair i remember i remember uh someone else throwing something but i'll save that I, for I, that episode. i also i also remember several people leaving as soon as best picture was announced at the 2016 oscars and then regretting they left the room very soon oh, see <laughs> Anyway, I, I will wait. I will wait to tell that story when we get there. Um, I, I, if y'all want to know about the many controversies and misdeeds of uh, Woody Allen, there are plenty of places to go inform yourself. I don't think we need to dive too deep into that here. Um, I will say this is my first Woody Allen movie I've watched. I have never. I don't know. I've just always been very ambivalent towards his movies, regardless of the controversy. So I won't be, I can't bring too much to this conversation as like understanding his auteurship. Uh, yeah, I wanted to bring up the ones I've seen just because I feel like it's worthy to have like, you know, this is how I know Woody Allen, right? Um, yeah. So first off, I want to say the two I've been interested in seeing, or like rather the two I always meant to see. And then of course, I realized, you know, you don't need to watch movies that like 
are made by terrible people. Unless, of course, you are working, you do want to get around to Chinatown someday, which is true. I do want to watch Chinatown at some point. I'm sorry. Um, I'm, I'm interested in what that is. Um, I still haven't, but I will get around to it at some point. But um, the ones I was interested in, I remember, were The Purple Rose of Cairo. Of course, Annie Hall. I'd like to see, I would want to see Manhattan, you know, the big ones. But then I did want to see Midnight in Paris, and I never saw it. But what I have seen is I saw Blue Jasmine at home during Oscar Catch-Up in 2013. I saw Magic in the Moonlight at the AMC Carbondale, where I remember, uh, I don't know if Caleb remembers our friend Brad. And by our friend, I mean my friend Brad, who just kind of hung around Caleb occasionally. Um, but I remember Brad, like, threw candy at the screen, and I was just very, like, why are you doing that? I understand we don't like this movie, but like this isn't right. <laughs> um, but then I, the one I more <laughs> distinctly seeing is we had a teacher in high school named Mr. Pishker, um, who was the sponsor of our cinema club, which we did an episode on our podcast, my other podcast, Looking for the Ocean, where I mentioned it, our Toy Story three episode, where me and the guest on the Toy Story three episode, Michaela uh, Pishker, reached out to us two years after graduate, I was like, do you want to go see a movie with me? And we had done this the previous year with Mr. Holmes, and we were like, I was like, ooh, let's go see Hunt for the Wilder People. That's a cool movie that's indie, because he likes seeing indie movies, and I want to see it. And unfortunately, Mr. Pishker was like, let's go see Cafe Society instead. Um, and I'll admit, at the time, he wasn't cancelled yet. I thought the movie was fine. I wasn't, you know, like, you know, I hate to be like it, it's not like it's not bad or blunt at the time people were just like well it's just what yeah you know um and I got enjoyment out of Cafe Society and Blue Jasmine I think they're both solid films I think Blue Jasmine has two phenomenal performances in it that were rightfully Oscar nominated one of them won an Oscar um and I think this movie has very good performances in it too and I think in discussing this film it's hard to remove the performances from that shadow but I also think it'd be a disservice not to talk the film because obviously you know we're going to talk about other problematic people down the road um and we already talked about some problematic people already you know it's just that woody allen of course casts a long shadow compared to quite a few (laughs) people that we will eventually get to (laughs) so woody allen yeah woody allen is a very modern figure in a lot of ways and uh i don't know i i we have talked about other problematic people before. We will again. And we, I'm sure we have talked about people who did very problematic things that we will just never know about because of the sands of time. I think it is, it is valuable to not separate the art from the artist, but to be able to compartmentalize during the viewing of something if you can sometimes you can't do that. Like I can't watch something with Bill Cosby because it's too distracting. However, it's when you bring stuff into the overall context, when you're talking about afterwards, I think you need to start acknowledging the, uh, the, the author and stuff like that. So I, I just, I wouldn't blame anyone for watching a Woody Allen movie and seeing quality, like quality craft on display or even necessarily enjoying it. As long as they also take that into the context of everything else that's involved with that. Now, I think the other thing I mean very specifically is, of course, Woody Allen is the ultimate director of this film, right? But I think you can talk about actors 
and recognize, you know, how, like, you know, good performances in a Woody Allen movie, right? Uh, one thing I wanted to mention that I noticed in the credits I thought was very amusing uh, and kind of cool is I want to make sure I get this right. Um, costume designer of this movie is a very recognizable name who will actually return to the show at some point. Um, did you recognize, did you catch his name in the credits? I didn't watch the credits for this movie. <laughs> oh, well, it is a uh, Joel Schumacher, <laughs> the costumes oh. for this movie. Oh, um, I, I do remember briefly looking up and just seeing the Schumacher, and I was like, I'm like, is that Schumacher? And then I realized it wasn't the editing credit, but I had already passed by the time it yeah, I was paying he attention. He started as a costume designer, and this is the last film he costume designed. He worked as a costume designer from 1972 to 1978. He also costume designed The Last of Sheila, which is a movie that's probably going to always be on my, lost, my watch list. And maybe every time a glass on uh, a knives out movie comes out, I'll be like, Ooh, is this the year I watched Last of Sheila? And I'll probably ever do it. So, <laughs> but anyway, yeah, Joel Schumacher did the costumes for this. It's pretty cool, I think. Um, and then, of course, I think the actors in this are quite good, too. Um, but okay, let's talk about the film. This is, um, as a warning to the listeners, um, this is probably going to be a shorter episode because one, we're missing a third of our crew, and two, even though we're here, we don't particularly want to like really discuss Woody Allen. <laughs> nope. Um, Breakfast Club, Pretty um, Pink, even Saint Elmo's Fire. She walked out to Wham. Okay, uh, let's move on. <laughs> um, what song is that? <laughs> that's 1985. Oh, it is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, like song. it was burying in the back of my mind, but all I could think about is like the dialogue from Ready Player One because it's oh, I, on the same wavelength. <laughs> <laughs> I just like I was just like going. Debbie just hit the wall and just leaving it at that. Like Debbie just hit the wall. Anyway. Um, um, this film, Interiors, um, basically is about an interior decorator who goes through a painful separation and divorce. And it's really, though, not about her, even though she got nominated for Best Lead Actress. It is more about how her daughters deal with it and their father remarrying. Um, very nice ensemble cast. A lot of cool names in here, like the young Sam Waterston. Diane Keaton has a role. Um, and then, of course, the two Oscar-nominated roles are pretty good, too. Uh, I, think, I think the whole cast is pretty good. Um, whether or not the script is good for them, that depends on the role they have, you know? There's a few roles in this, particularly the men that I'm a little like, mm, I'm not sure about this one. Um, particularly one plotline I know ended the way that I was like, uh, what am I watching? <laughs> uh, but yeah, you know, it's just like a little drama about like the dealing with um, you know, divorce, separation, and then the mental health that spirals that come from that, and remarriage. It's like have, it's yeah. like the Meyerowitz stories. If it wasn't fun, um, Danny, well, the whole whole I, I do think the whole thing to say about this movie, though, also even though we don't like talking about like Woody Allen, is this was supposed to be like Woody Allen's drama because all of his movies up to this point were a comedy. This was meant to be a drama, so. That was yeah, that's kind of why I feel like there's no humor in it, you know. It was specifically him riffing on Bergman, right? Yes. 
And, you know, because the year before, he wins Best Picture, Best Director, wins everything for Annie Hall. Um, everyone's like, well, that's just funny. That's not, like a, that's not like a serious movie. He can't do a serious movie. So he's like, oh, I'm going to show you I can do a serious movie. And he made this. And, and he could regard uh, uh, well, what, well, what I was going to say, in regards to being <laughs> serious, and he definitely succeeded at being serious, right? Like, whether or not he succeeded at the I film mean, itself is a different question. I thought, I mean, I don't know. I, I thought the movie was fine. Uh, I viewed it more as like, it's kind of like a movie like Fences. And I'm not comparing Woody Allen to August Wilson. I think Fences, the writing is obviously great, but it's also obviously a play. I think this works as an acting showcase. It, it's very nice clips for an acting reel for everyone involved. This might be our, our difference here. Uh, because I, I think this movie's garbage. It's one of the worst movies we've watched. Um, I was in the I won't entire time looking hard. for a hook. <laughs> the entire time I was looking for a hook and I can't find one. And I think, I think the difference between your tepid, I don't know, like appreciation for the cast and my hatred for the movie comes down to, I thought everyone was bad in this. I, to be fair, I think they have some terrible roles and dialogue to work with, but I don't think that, I think there is exactly one good performance in this movie. Is it Maureen Stapleton? It is Maureen Stapleton. I do think the movie, um, I don't, I maybe, well, I don't care. Sarah's not here. We can do whatever we want. Um, because <laughs> uh, I, you know, I try to avoid talking about like who I'm going to give the win to or stuff like that beforehand. But I think when Maureen Stapleton comes in, because Sarah just cares all, about that so much. Yeah. Yeah. Sarah, <laughs> Sarah's the producer who really cares about this following the rules. No. Um, but Maureen Stapleton comes in the movie and suddenly it makes you realize that everyone else here has been acting in a stagey way. And cause she comes in and just acts incredibly natural in like, she's just a person we found on the street to put in the movie. That said, I will say the moment where she knocks over like the, uh, the vase, the vase is incredibly poorly blocked. Um, yes. It's yeah. just like, she's dancing, dancing. Then all of a sudden out of nowhere, she just knocks it over her hand, even though she wasn't doing anything with her hand before then, and it doesn't look like a natural dance move at all. But that's not her fault. That's blocking. That's direction. That acting, I hate to be blunt, but you how actors move throughout a scene, unless it's like their gait specifically, that is not really acting. That is direction and blocking. So not her fault. So I think I think the reason I was able to latch on to her. Was one, it's that thing where an actor comes in kind of late in the movie and kind of because there's a new element where it has really just been these three sisters and their husbands. Um, it adds kind of like a new, it, it breathes some new life in. But also, she is the only character who is not mired in self doubt and uh, these neuroses that are the, are the hinging point for every other character. Every other character here is dealing with uh, dealing with like existential dread about their own mortality or like a like a, uh, a nihilistic hopelessness over their purpose in life. Every character is pathetic and hates themselves, except for this one character. I think the thing I, I think the most engaged I get in the entire film is when they're talking about the play. And she's like, I didn't like the guy because he was a squealer. I think that's the most in this movie. I was very locked into what was going on because I just thought it was very fascinating to depict this thing that is very real that I've been part of in a bad sense where it's like, oh, 
this movie is fantastic so this and this and this and then i'm with someone who's just like well i just thought that guy was a bad guy i don't know what you're talking about like there's no nuance there he made an atomic bomb like what are you talking about like <laughs> that's just an example from this year but you know what i mean um yeah it happens very often so um i don't know i thought that was a i thought it was cool to have that depicted in the movie and i think the whole thing to me is she comes in and she just feels very natural of everything um, and mm-hmm. everyone else feels like very stagey, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. I mean, it's a very stagey script, but it just feels very refreshing to suddenly see, okay, this is like a person, whereas everyone else feels like a character. So it's, it's a very stagey script. It's also a very repetitive script. I felt like we kept watching the same scenes on loop. Yeah, I felt like the people felt kind of interchangeable to me. This is this is a movie I was struggling to stay awake during. This is why we're not doing a scene by scene breakdown because I think it would be impossible for either of us to do it. Um, I can remember certain bits. I'll be real. I don't even know which one was Diane Keaton because I don't know Diane. I don't know young Diane Keaton that well. Um, I remember I the one with the glasses. the glasses. That's pretty much it. No, no, she wasn't on the glasses. That's Mary okay. Beth Hart. Okay. First time role type of thing for her, I believe. Let's see. Let me. Well, I, think I don't she... think she was Flynn. No, she was. Um, she was the one who wears the glasses. Oh wait, who was a uh, Diane Keaton? I don't know. I think she was. I don't know. But um, oh, what was I? Okay, so she's the poet. Diane Keaton's the poet. They all have. One's a poet, one's an actress, one is something and she doesn't know what to do. They are all upper middle class creatives who don't seem to have much real uh, externality in their uh, their creation. It, they, they're all focused on the, inter- the uh, inter- internal, the uh, interiors, if you will. But Sam Waterston is in this movie. Was he and one say, of the husbands? Yeah. yeah, he was one of the husbands. Well, the thing to me is, um, what is this show he is on? Because my mom used to love it. Um, he's on like a CBS show of some kind. He played Oppenheimer in 1980. That's funny. Um, it says he's on the newsroom. Oh, Law and Order. Duh, that's it. He's on Law and Order. Um, so I'm used to seeing him older, but he also looks basically now he looks exactly the same but with wrinkles and like he, he has very distinct eyebrows is the thing to me and eyes so it's like oh mm. young sam waterston there he is getting absolutely nothing to do in this movie but it's okay um but yeah i don't know there's really like <laughs> it's a woody allen movie and it's not a comedy so it's just kind of like it th- maybe it sounds bad but it's like if we were gonna get stuck with woody allen movie for snow club couldn't have been one of the ones I was interested in watching before he got canceled. <laughs> like, couldn't have been like Manhattan or Hannah and his sister or sisters or the Purple Rose of Cairo. Something that I was actually interested in, not just like this is the drama of people being sad the whole movie. I mean, if you are interested in his career progression for whatever reason, why you would still be interested in that. Um, I guess this is interesting to see like the failed attempt at something. Um, you know, it's, it's the director like trying something new 
And if you're interested in like an entire filmography, that's kind of cool, I guess. But it certainly, if you are, if you have a disposition against the director, which like I said, I tried to compartmentalize while watching this and I think I was successful in, um, it definitely feels like a, a, a pointless exercise. Yeah, I think it's something where I hear about Woody Allen. Woody Allen is really like, and again, this is me talking pre everything that it, pre, as a this is me talking as a kid in 2011 who's like, oh, Midnight in Paris. That sounds like a cool movie about a guy time traveling and it's like a rom com. Maybe I'll see that. Oh, it's gone before I can go see it. I don't know who the director is, but Owen Wilson's cool. Um, darn, I miss it. Um, I feel like my impression, my first impression of Woody Allen is. He starts as a guy who makes rom-coms, and then he occasionally makes, like, fantasy comedies. So it's, like, us watching the one that is... Because even, like, Blue Jasmine, right? Blue Jasmine is labeled a comedy, but it's got Kate Blanchett playing a socialite with Alec Baldwin as her husband. There are funny bits in it, right? <laughs> like, this is just so dry. The entire movie. And everything feels like it's obvious where it's going. And maybe this was like revolutionary at the time in American film, but also it doesn't seem like it was because who cares about American film? Bergman was popular on an international stage. So like, what's the point, you know? And it's also one of these things where if you, if you can't have a moment of like playfulness with these characters, then either it comes off as you hate them, which I think probably is in line with this film. I don't think Woody Allen liked any of these characters. Um, or it, I don't know, it positions them as too self-serious. Because I think these are the type of people and like the conversations they're having that you could poke fun at. And it just doesn't. It's, yeah. I, I'm thinking... I feel like it's also just so hard to do a movie about like three sisters and have them never like each other. Like, you never not get to see only, these sisters, like, have fun. Like, I'm not saying we need a scene where they all get drunk and, like, party, but, like, could we not have, like, a flashback scene before the divorce of them, like, having a good time together? Because it seems like they all hate th- each other before their parents got divorced, and after their parents get divorced, they hate each other exactly the same. There is no... Whenever the film flashbacks, it doesn't feel like a flashback to me because it feels like they're the exact same people they were 10 years ago than they are now, which might be the point. They're all stuck in loops, but it's also like that's not a very compelling story. I just don't feel like there's any real character history between any of these people beyond the scope of the film. And if you're making a movie about siblings, that's kind of the whole point. Yes. Like you mentioned Myerowitz stories. There's a movie where everyone feels like they've been in that family unit forever. A lot of it's Noah Baumbach's script. A lot of it is just the acting, like Ben Stiller, Adam Sandler, and um, Elizabeth Marvel. All three of them just feel like they lived together for years. Um, and in this film, it's like... And then also, the relationship in that movie with the Dustin Hoffman character is so well-defined for all of them. And then in this film, it's like, either the dad or the mom, it's just like, we're trying to protect mom, but it's like, okay, you all have that relationship with her. And then the one with the glasses is a little bit better at it, but it's just, which is then also in a way why Maureen Stapleton popping up is exciting. Cause it's like, none of these characters know who this is either. So they have to develop their own relationship with it. Ergo, finally something in their life is changing. 
Whereas even the flashbacks and everything before, it seems like nothing's ever changed. Even then, when they're given this thing where it's like, here is a new person in your life, you must adapt for them. They barely adapt at all. You know? Yeah. Um, also, I don't know if we need to talk about it or not, but uh, I feel like one of the characters just gets an un- a needlessly like awful ending. Uh, and I'm just very confused why anyone would think it felt like very much like they think I can't do a drama. This isn't dramatic enough for them. Well, I'm putting this rape scene in this movie and I'm just sitting there. I'm like, where'd this even come from? It feels, it feels very unearned and, uh, unbelievable. I, (laughs) it's also not followed up on the movie basically ends five minutes later. There's no consequences. It almost feels like the movie is like, this isn't a big deal. And that that's the time that my compartmental, my compartmentalizing broke down. And I'm like, hmm, Woody Allen directed this scene. Hmm, I wonder if that says something about how he sees sexual violence. Hmm. Yeah. <sighs> anyway, I'm still giving this movie a decent, like, great on Letterboxd. I like the acting. Uh, I still think it works really well for me, but it's like that's the whole thing to me too. It's like it's so hard to talk about like a Woody Allen movie, regardless, because like Blue Jasmine, right? I don't think I'll ever rewatch it. But if I had been in a position where I'm rewatching it, am I gonna suddenly think Kate Blanchett and Sally Hawkins are bad in the movie? No. Why would I? Those are two great actors in any movie. Like, you know, like Alec Baldwin, <laughs> Louis C.K. Both in that movie. <laughs> Maybe a little different, but <laughs> I, I I guess I just I had forgot Louis C.K. was in that movie until later. Now. I was like, oh yeah, Louis C.K. is in that. I don't know. Like, there's really not much to talk about here anyway. Like, we talk about Joel Schumacher. I talk a little bit about the actors, and then the plot of the movie is whatever. Like, it is what it is. It's a Woody Allen movie, you know. It's like, what what are we gonna get out of this? You know, it's. It's a movie by someone we don't want to talk about, and it's a movie that had no historical impact. And I feel like the big thing about it, too, is like, we, in a way, we want to talk about Woody Allen, but then we're watching an atypical Woody Allen movie anyway. So it's like, how are we supposed to analyze how this man became popular in spite of so much stuff if we're watching a bad movie of his? You know? But granted, it's the Snub Club. We're not going to watch his best thing because his best thing won Oscars. Always, like I mean, for we- actors and stuff. We watched we watched Frank Capra's best movie. I would argue we okay, maybe but that, watched. I mean, I, I'll be real. There's some films down the road that I know it's like, oh, that's one of that director's best movies. Like, for example, we watched Taxi Driver. That's one we watched too. You might not love it, but that's one of Scorsese's classics, right? Um, yeah. I'm thinking very specifically the one. This is a spoiler, but for you, but I'm not telling you what it is. The one Michael Mann movie we will cover on this podcast is one of the few I've seen. And I think it's like reputation wise, one of his like top three. I think it's a movie people talk about a lot. So it's like, why can't it be like Michael Mann? Why can't it be like uh, Scorsese, who like we, we cover eventually The Irishman? That's not a spoiler. We talked in this podcast began that The Irishman was going to be one of our ones. Um, it's just kind of frustrating, you know? That yeah. It's like, we can't even discuss him as an auteur because this is particularly him going against his auteur sensibilities to try to make something else so it's like well maybe (laughs) maybe that's a uh 
Maybe that's a benefit because if you get into auteur discussion, even if you're being critical of the auteur, well, like I think we were with Scorsese, um, people will still maybe interpret that as praise. So maybe we're lucky. Well, I guess, but I don't think it's like, I've never seen Annie Hall, but I know Spike Lee has said it's a massive influence on like, do the right thing. And like how he writes his, like his, his films in general are deeply inspired by like the good Woody Allen comedies of the seventies and eighties. So it's like, to me, it's like, I would kind of want to watch one of those movies for the snub club just so I could see like, oh, okay, so this is where Spike Lee gets that from. And this is how Spike Lee might improve on it. And of course, other from beyond Spike Lee, Woody Allen is a very influential filmmaker, but interiors is not an influential film by him. Manhattan, Hannah and her sisters, Annie Hall. Those are influential films by Woody Allen. Not interiors. I, I guess I'm wondering, like, so you just... I'm gonna. I'm probably gonna straw man you a little here, so please fight back. You want the snub club to be your excuse to watch these movies you normally couldn't. Like, um, in the case of a, in case of someone who's canceled, yes, because I don't feel comfortable watching Woody Allen with my free time when there's so much other stuff I could be watching. Yeah, I, I don't think that's an unfair thing to say. Like, if we're we have to watch these movies, I hope I sure do hope they're interesting. <laughs> but yeah, exactly. I like, also, yeah. I would also like, just rather not watch a Woody Allen movie. Uh, yeah, well, Sarah took took advantage of that, so I can't I can't be <laughs> too upset about that. But like, we have a lot of interesting auteurs coming up, right? And most of them are like one of them. Okay, I see right here. I'm looking very ahead, like in the '90s. There was an auteur here that we're watching a movie I've never seen of his. It's considered. I feel like it's always listed as like his best film or his second best film. So like, well, that's exciting. So it's like. Sometimes you get sometimes you get that. Sometimes you get like you get interiors. You know, it's just the way of the stuff. So yeah. yeah, and I I can't wait till we are wrapping up the stub club and we can have a long conversation about the validity of this project and stuff because I do think there's been a lot of interesting uh, perspective I've gained doing this um, i think it works mostly as like this is how cinema evolved in america yeah yeah it's more like a this is a progression and though i do think at the end of it i think we're gonna eventually hit something where it's like we're just watching oscar bait failed oscar bait which is gonna be and i think interiors is is failed oscar bait yeah well it's certainly him trying to make a prestige picture yes um i think i think once we hit like 2007 maybe i'm not sure 2008 we won't have a good amount of historical uh perspective just because of the time um i kind of picked an arbitrary date there but you get what i mean we'll hit a time when we just won't have the historical perspective to talk about those movies in the same way and then it will become hey you remember what came out this year yeah but i which will be fun in its like own for right. but for example like i keep using this example because everyone knows we're covering it eventually I think we can talk for an hour about the Irishman and have a good time talking about the Irishman for an hour. You know? Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the movies themselves will still, like, we'll always have the movies to mind, but the, the meta conversation around the movies might change. Yes, agree. Um, especially because also we'll know more about, like, Star Persona, for example, and stuff like that, mm. because we've seen these stars. Like, for example, me being like, Oh yeah, um, Sam Waterston here. That's my one frame of reference. Is the guy from Law and Orders in this movie? That's not very helpful. So yeah, 
All right. Uh, I think we can wrap this up. Um, what was Interiors nominated for, Caleb? Interiors was nominated for Best Director, uh, Best Actor, Best Supporting Actress, or no, Best Actress, Best Supporting Actress, Best Screenplay, Written Direct, or yeah, Written Directly for the Screen, and Best Set Design. I did want to mention one thing that I thought was interesting before I pick mine, um, which is that Geraldine Page is nominated in Lead Actress, whereas she won Best Supporting Actress at BAFTA for this. Um, which I think is interesting, because I think she is supporting in this film. I don't think she's the lead. And that is because, uh, well, never mind. I'm jumping ahead. Um, and I'm not actually going to do that. Anyway, I was going to say, all right, nominate this person for lead actress, because she's the actual lead of the movie, but I'm not going to do that anyway. But the winner is obviously for this, Maureen Stapleton. I think the Zoom cable agrees with me. She comes in, the movie becomes very engaging for her bits of scenes. I feel like it's obvious why she got a supporting actress nomination, even though she's really not in the movie much. So, yeah, Maureen Stapleton, you can have an Oscar for this. I will break from the pack. The pack is one person. I can't say that now. Um, I'll give it to the set design. I, I do like That's Maureen fair. Stapleton a lot. She was, I, I was actually expecting the whole time that she wasn't going to get the supporting actress nomination, so I was going to nominate her for that in our next bit. Um, but no, I think, I think the set designs are, this is a movie that obviously with its name and with its character draws attention to the sets. And I do really like how the sets are like big and minimalistic and like almost swallow the characters. I think the set design is very good. And it's, it's a movie about set design in a way too. So it's like, yeah, like sure. You know? Yeah. I I wish it was more about the set design, honestly. Um, I don't, I don't. I think that he gets so caught up in the neurotic characters that he doesn't take advantage of that. But what's there is good. Um, and okay. I will. I don't know. I this is this is very difficult. I'm debating between two. I'll give it cinematography because. I, well, I don't like any of the cast, and like nothing technically stands out so that is the one that's like it kind of pairs with the set design okay so i alluded to earlier maybe i'll give it to mary beth hart she's the actual lead of the film but i'm gonna give best supporting actor to let me look up the name e.g marshall who plays the father i think he has a couple compelling scenes I love the way he plays his love for Marine Stapleton. That's really it to me. Is like I think that is something that he should get some credit for in this movie and selling Marine Stapleton to us because they do feel madly in love with each other, which is very sweet compared to the rest of this film. Um, so I will give E.G. Marshall a nomination for supporting actor. I think he's very solid in this. Again, if he's let down, it's because of the writing, not because of his performance. I think he feels very... I think when he's with Maureen Stapleton, he feels very real in the way she feels real. So. That's fair. Uh, yeah. Let's know what we're doing next time. Oh, Yes. Alright. <laughs> Sorry, I shouldn't have cut you off. Well, at the 52nd Academy Awards, we have a tie again. Two films. And this is 1979, so we have two more movies in the 70s. Both four nominations and no wins. Would you like to know what the first one is, Caleb? Can I have a drum roll, yes. please? 
we will be watching James Bridges, who is not a famous director, but this film is a title I know. We'll be watching his film, The China Syndrome, which is a political thriller starring Jane Fonda and Jack Lemmon and Michael Douglas. I recognize that name. Yeah, I recognize the name too. I have never seen it, but cool. Political thriller. Why not? You know, good times. I'm looking forward and to it. Like, oh, also Wilfred Brimley's in this. Yes, I oh, noticed yeah. that too. Yeah, so we'll be watching that one. I'm pretty excited. All right. Uh, I'm Danny Vincent. You can follow me on Letterboxd at Blink Wince. You can listen to my other podcast, Looking for the Ocean to Pixar Journey. I was telling Caleb before this, we're on a very good run right now. I highly recommend you listen to our episodes on In Order, Tomorrowland, The Boy and the Herring, and Inside Out. All three of them are episodes we are incredibly proud of. And next week we are going to be recording, um, which means I don't think the episode is out yet, but we have a TikTok star coming on to talk about the good dinosaur. So that will be a good time. Um, but yeah. Um, oh, and are you going to do the read through of like where you can find us on social media? Because I don't know where you can find us on social media. Um, I didn't even think about that. I, I did just pull up Sarah's letterbox because I wanted to I wanted to shout that one out. Um, but we can take a week off of that. Guys. Yeah, you found the episodes. Rate us, yeah, rate us five stars to get us up in the algorithm. That's your call to action this week. Um, we actually had a very nice review. Uh, that's kind of long, so I won't read it all. But I, I was curious, so I went and checked it. It was a very nice, like, well-written, in-depth review of our show, and I was like, oh, this person puts in more effort to this review than I do most weeks. Um, <laughs> uh, very very nice follow- to hear. Yeah. Um, and you can, follow our, you can follow our, um, uh, our missing co-host, Sarah, at Letterboxd, um, ESS, G-E-E-K-A-Y. Um, and there you can see uh, her uh, her takes on movies and such. Uh, and you can find me at Caleb from the Real World on Instagram and YouTube from there. You can find my other podcasts, Snub Club. That's the one I'm on. I shouldn't have said that one. All New 52 and Star Wars Therapy. All right. We will see you next time for The China Syndrome. I'm excited for that. And we will never talk about Woody Allen again. So that is also very exciting. All right. See you next time. See you then.